right, all right, day 203. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so this is day 203. We're still in the book of Jeremiah. And uh, I just want to say, we always say this uh, every so often, uh, I pray that you're reading this. <laughs> I pray that you're not just listening. Uh, I think, yes, obviously listen, right? But I pray that you are actually reading this book as well. Uh, things will make much more sense, so much ground to cover in these chapters. All right, so we're in Jeremiah 33. And last time we left off talking about the book of consolation, right? So Jeremiah is this prophet to Judah, the Southern kingdom, and to the nations and he has these uh, prophecies of judgment in the beginning. But here in this middle section, he has these promises of hope, of comfort, of restoration, of salvation of uh, for the people of God. And so this chapter 33 is the last chapter of that bunch. And he's picking up on the precious promises of God that he's been given uh, in this section. And he keeps going, right? The salvation he brings up in this text, um, he's going to say always comes after the judgment, right? There is no salvation without judgment. There is no exaltation without humiliation. There's no resurrection without death, right? This will be a time of peace, he says, in the last days, in the future, after the exile. This will be a time of peace for Israel, a time of healing, a time uh, where their sins and iniquities will be wiped away. And one of the things he's going to say is that this uh, is that there will be a um, response of the people, Right. And you know what that response is? He says it's joy. He says it's delight. He says it's worship. He says it's praise. Listen, a true delight in what God has accomplished for us in Christ is an indication that someone has been saved by Christ. Right. And I know that. Listen, I know if you're listening to this and you're anything like me, I know that your affections tend to dull and fade. But, man, my prayer for you is that the Lord would allow the gospel, the good news of Christ Jesus to be so real to you and so real to me that it would lead us to tears of joy sometime. Right. Wouldn't that be refreshing? I love where he goes about midway through. He says this in those days. And at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to sprout up for David, and he will administer justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is what she will be named. The Lord is our righteousness. For this is what the Lord says. David will never fail to have a man sitting on the throne of the house of Israel. Listen, part of what it means to be saved is to come under someone righteous to submit to. This is what this text is saying. Someone faithful and just to be shepherded by. We come under the saving reign and rule of God through his righteous king, Jesus. God roots all of these blessings in the covenant uh, he made with David, the covenant promises he gave to David because the promises he made here, the promises he made here, those find their end and fulfillment right in the new covenant right in the work of christ and we we can talk about that um another time about how the bible has this covenantal structure this relational structure where god makes promises and binds himself to his people by the end 
you see that this commitment, this covenantal commitment God has is not just something he made to David, but it's also rooted in the creational commitment. Just as sure as we can count on the rising and setting of the sun and the regular rhythms of day and night, uh, the regular rhythms of the universe, we can count on God being faithful to him, to his end of the deal being faithful to the promises he has made and he's going to use language here from the covenant and, and uh, promises he made to noah and abraham and david right all of these things to assure us of the nature of his promises to restore his people this is the kind of god we serve where he makes good and gracious promises to us and can't do anything but fulfill them chapter 34 comes and it marks off a new section in the book and it's in this section uh, in the book is very uh, biographical, right? It's it's a narrative right, of the last days of Judah all the way up through the exile in 586. So what happens is this. If before we had more oracles, uh, um, uh, the narrative here, we have more narrative than oracles. Right. So 34 to 45 is going to be this long section uh, in the book. Now, again, this thing is not chronological. Right. It is uh, literarily uh, structured to drive home specific theological points and truths uh, to be kept by the people of God. Right. You and I. All right. So 34 comes and we have Zedekiah who who it is prophesied that he will be taken to Babylon. Same song, right? Ain't nothing changed. It's a rap for him, right? Period, right? The text is clear. But later, we have this interesting passage in this same chapter, and it says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I made a covenant with your ancestors when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, saying at that, at the end of seven years, hear this, each of you must let his fellow Hebrew who sold himself to you go. He may serve you six years, but then you must let him go. Free him from your service. But watch this. But your ancestors did not obey me or pay any attention. Today you repent, repented and did what pleased me. Each of you proclaiming freedom for his neighbor. You made a covenant before me at the house that bears my name. Listen, but you have changed your minds and profaned my name. Each has taken back his male and female slaves who have been let go, uh, free to go wherever they want it. And you have again forced them to be your slaves. Basically what happens is this. Basically the people of God were set free in Egypt, right? We know that. However, um, the people of God also... And, and, and this time we're allowed to let their brothers and sisters uh, be in something called debt slavery. Right. This is ancient Hebraic uh, slavery. This is not uh, chattel slavery that we, we we saw here in America in the 16th, uh, 15th, 16th century. But what we have here is um, where one could who was in debt, who was poor among the people of God could uh, be an indentured servant, in a sense, uh, to his neighbor who was more wealthy and he could only work up to seven years and in the seventh year he had to be emancipated he has to he had to be liberated right and god will root that command to let them go free in the event and in the narrative of the exodus right because israel was enslaved and god let them go god is a liberator he's shown he is a uh, a freedom fighter he's an abolitionist right however now after letting them go in this text what they were doing was re-enslaving their their former slaves right and the lord says no 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 this is unjust and the Lord is not pleased. All right. And the, the release of slaves, again, is related to the laws of Jubilee in the Sabbath years, where every seven years things are released and given back to the rightful owner. What's the point? Man is the, isn't the rightful owner of man. Right. God, ironically, in a play on play on words, is going to say, yo, even though you haven't freed your brothers and sisters, 
you have unjustly failed to do this, you will experience a freedom to famine, war, death, and plague, as he's been saying over and over. In other words, I think the narrative is trying to not just tell us about the injustice of the kings and leaders of Judas, Judah, but show us the injustice of the kings and leaders of Judah, right? The attempt and way that they abused power and went beyond and sought uh, to be above God's law was something that merited God's judgment. Right. And so God doesn't go back on his promises, but man usually and often does. We, we learn of the faithfulness of God in all of these texts, but we also see of the unfaithfulness of the kings and of his people, uh, especially towards the covenant that, they, that was established with them. And so the text is clear about that. The Lord hates that kind of behavior. And in chapter 35, he comes and the text moves 10 years earlier. Right. So it goes back to the reign of a man named Jehoiakim. Right. So you have just Josiah, who was his good king. Then you have Jehoiakim and his sons, Jehoiachin and Zedekiah. This text primarily talks to Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin and Zedekiah, uh, the text of Jeremiah. And what we see in 35 is that the Lord is going to prove a point through these cats called the Rechabites. Right. The Rechabites, listen, uh, are descended from a guy named Jonadab and his father, Rechab, right? And they were a uh, nomadic tribe in the monarchy with no royal lineage, right? So they didn't, they went from the line of the kings, fam. They didn't, they didn't have that, that, that royal gene in their blood, right? It was just regular Joes, right? Like us. <laughs> and basically, they were commanded not to drink wine because their father, Jonadab, commanded them to not drink wine, right? And years later, They've still been faithful. Now, mind you, uh, anytime you see an Ike at the end of someone's name in the Bible, uh, that that the 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 um, name that comes before it is who they descended from, right? So, in other words, Israelite, they descended from the person of Israel, right? Uh, Canaanite descended from the person of Canaan, right? So on and so forth. Um, and so, they were commanded not to drink wine, and Jeremiah is even told here to go and test them to see if they would drink wine, and they said no we're fine, right? We, we don't uh, want no alcohol. And what God here is trying to show more than the righteousness of the Rechabites is the rebelliousness of Judah. What do I mean? God is like, look, look at their devoutness to human commands, a mere man, and you won't even obey the true and living God. And God is going to mention in this text, Warning after warning after warning and consistent, repeated rebellion and rejection of the word of God is punished by God. Right. God is clear about that in the prophets. And we can't shy away from these truths because it's all in the Bible. Right. And the thing that the text is going to lend itself to is that the best way to please him is to be faithful to him. Listen, we don't need prestige. We don't need power. We don't need to be a part of a royal lineage to be seen as precious and righteous in God's kingdom. All we have to do is be faithful in God's kingdom. And 35 shows us that. Jeremiah 36 comes, the last chapter of this bunch, and it's a very, very important, important one. And what we find here is that the Lord telling Jeremiah, he says, yo, dictate and record on a scroll all of the prophecies and oracles I've given you, right? So Baruch, his name is blessed. Baruch, who is Jeremiah's scribe, records the prophecies that Jeremiah dictated, right? So he basically writes down scripture. Now, the scriptures are then read at the temple before the servants and officials of Jehoiakim uh, and Jehoiakim himself, 
right? And the crazy thing is, is that Jehoiakim, the king at this time, hears the word of God. And guess what he does? He hears the word of God. He cuts it up into pieces and has the ancient Bible manuscripts burned. So much going on here. This, what he does, is illustrative and indicative of how far gone Judah is. And judgment is sure to come, right? There isn't, listen, there isn't just indifference to the word of God, but contempt for the word of God. Not only that, there's this stark contrast between what takes place here and what takes place in 2 Kings 22. Do you remember? There, Josiah, who is Jehoiakim's father, his pops, hears the word of the Lord, proclaimed, and guess what? Guess what he does? He tears his clothes. He's in distress, lament, and he repents. And he leads a reform and a revival in Judah and corrects his ways, right? This is not so merely a generation later. Side note, what is the text trying to teach us? We can't procure or curate the faithfulness of the next generation. We can't procure or curate it. I find myself, I'm, I'm a younger man, and uh, me and my wife, uh, many of you know, who, who know us, uh, we're not married, we don't have kids, but one of the things I pray for all the time is that when the Lord, and if the Lord does give me kids, that they will walk with the Lord. And, and I find myself saying, all right, you know, now nah, facts, we're going to get up early in the morning, and we're going to start at Genesis, Genesis 1, and we're going to walk through the Windows and Mirrors podcast, right? I'm um, be asking them questions uh, and all this stuff, and it's like, yo, bro, uh, it, it, it dawned on me one day. It's like, yo, bro, you can't procure, right, the faithfulness of the next generation. Not saying you don't pour into your kid. Not saying you don't disciple them. Not saying you don't teach them the ways of the Lord. But at the end of the day, fam, <laughs> at the end of the day, all you can do is be faithful in your own generation to them, right, and let the Lord take care of the rest. You see here just a generation later, my man Jehoiakim is wild, right? And the text lends itself to such parallels between the, the, the two generations. As it says this, as they heard all these words, the king and all his servants, listen, did not become terrified or tear their clothes, right? Clear that this should have been the response. The irony is, as he burns the words of God, though, the city of God will be the thing that will ultimately be burned and destroyed. The dope thing, though, at the end is that the Lord tells Jeremiah to dictate another scroll and he adds to it, right? The Lord preserves, protects, in his providence, his word, so that later generations could hear it and not respond to it like Jehoiakim, but like Josiah with repentance and reform out of a reverence for God. Listen, my question for you today is how are you responding to the word of God? How are you responding? Are you indifferent to it? Or are you worse like Jehoiakim? Do you have contempt for it, right? Or do you tremble at the word of God, Isaiah 66 too, because that's what pleases the Lord. My prayer is that you would tremble at the words of God, that it would lead you to live a changed life, that it would correct your ways as you see in it the God of the universe who has revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we ask that our response to your word be one that is pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.